Some of us might need to breathe. Why don't we do that? Breathe in through your nose. Hold it. One more time. Sometimes that's the kind of space we need to find in worship. And sometimes in those spaces we can find ourselves resonating and identifying with the sentiment of the prophet. The sentiment that we just heard the choir sing over us. The sentiment that we heard Jen read for us a moment ago. How long? How long? Different ones of you in the room right now have different pictures or even emotional imprints that that draws forth. How long will this thing that I'm waiting on take? How long will it take God to respond to this thing I have been longing to see God respond to? How long? How long? How long will this sermon be? How long after church will we have to wait at the restaurant or in the living room for the lunch to be ready? If you're at my house, the answer is make your own lunch. How long until we can see the kickoff of the next Chiefs game? I think it happens later tonight. How long until our Royals are contenders again? We can only live on 2015 for so long. How long might some of our young parents in the room later ask this evening, will it take for those kids who are in bed to finally go to sleep? How long? How long some grandparents may be asking until our kids and grandkids come visit again? Or how long parents who are wondering about bedtime may wonder, will it be until the grandparents come and visit again? Because we need a break. How long? How long will we have to wait at this intersection for this red light? How long will we have to wait in line to check out at this grocery store? How long will we have to wait in the drive through line at Walgreens? It is long. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it takes a long time to get your drugs. How long? How long are we going to have to wait on knowing about that job? Or for this project to be finished, or those funds to come in, or that email to arrive, or that piece of news to come through. How long until our treatment can start? How long will the treatment take? How long will it be until we know whether it actually worked or not? How long? How long will this part of the sermon go on? We don't know. We can identify in some ways with the sentiment of the prophet because we can imagine through our own feelings and experiences what he might have felt in his experience. Though, of course, our imagination will only take us so far because his experience in each struggle is unique and this prophet's struggle was distinct. Those two short passages from Habakkuk actually are some of the most familiar in this book. 
centering around the questions how long in chapter 1 and the response to that, the declaration in chapter 2 and the just shall live by faith. And both are connected and both really reflect the deep sentiments of this prophetic letter. Habakkuk is a prophet, one of the minor prophets, which basically means that his oracle is shorter than the major prophets. But unlike many of the other minor and major prophets, this oracle is a bit different. Because it's not directed specifically to the people, about the people, about something God wants for the people, or directed to the people about something God wants for them or from them in the future. But instead, this is organized like a psalm of lament, focused directly toward God. It is a conversation. Habakkuk sets himself up, we see in chapter 2, as a kind of watchman sitting at the city gate, awaiting a long-expected guest. And in this case, the guest is God. And the longing is rooted in pain. Pain. These people have been living under the oppressive thumb of the Babylonians for quite some time, with the hope for quite some time that God was going to show up in some way and save them. But their hope is beginning to wane. Because like many of us in difficult situations, they're wondering, how long? How long will the righteous have to live by faith until something happens? Until God shows up to actually rescue and relieve us in some way? How long? Though we don't know what it's like to struggle in the way that Habakkuk was struggling here, we do know what it's like to wonder how long in the midst of a struggle. Some of you are wondering about that right now. Let it come forth. Let God bring that weight up in you, that wondering. And if you're wondering if there is any good news here, there is some, but it's multi-layered and complex. There's, of course, the good news that they should continue to live by faith in God's faithfulness to them in a spirit of trust, which is one of those things that, um, as much as we need to hear it sometimes, (laughs) the time when we need to hear it the most is sometimes the hardest time to believe it. And then there is the good news that comes in the larger context of this scripture that God is in the midst of their longing already there. The larger context of Scripture is always, of course, Jesus. And what we understand from Jesus and Scripture is that God is here because God is everywhere. But what we also understand is that God is near the brokenhearted and the poor and the oppressed in an especially special way. If we want to know what God is like, and we heard this last week, we look at Jesus. And if we want to know where God can be found, if we're looking for a place where God can be found, well, it wouldn't hurt to look and listen among the poor, the suffering, and the oppressed all around our world. We may think we have something only to share with them, that our mission should be focused only on them. But the truth is, if we want to find God and God's will for our life, Jesus tells us to look to them, to listen to them. 
There's a beautiful portrayal of this in the television show, The Chosen, which is about Jesus and his earliest disciples. I had this recommended to me by lots of different kinds of people, and so I finally watched it. You know, I had a little time over the last four months, so I decided to, 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 to watch it. And in a recent episode, it portrayed Jesus staying up late at night with Matthew working on the Sermon on the Mount. He said it was going to be a kind of manifesto in the midst of his ministry of all that he had come to do and say and accomplish. It's a really interesting moment for a lot of reasons. One of the creative liberties, the many creative liberties they take in this show is portraying Matthew as someone who is on the autism spectrum, which I thought was incredibly powerful. But Matthew is here just with Jesus, and Jesus is just with Matthew, And they're wrestling over these words, which they think are meaningful and good, but they both also have the sense that something is missing. The intro could be a little bit better. It needs a little work, Matthew says. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. It's a good line, but it's not where you should begin. Jesus agreed. And so he went away to work on the sermon a little bit, and Matthew continued to ponder that more. And then he finally comes back and said, I've got it. I'm going to begin with a map. He's interested. He wants to see the map, to hear the map. So Jesus begins to say, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. This is the Beatitudes. And as each line comes forth from Jesus' lips, there's a flashback to another scene in the gospel story where someone who would embody that particular emotion, who would fit that particular blessing, we see them living that out. It ends with Jesus focusing directly back on Matthew and offering words of hope to him. He's kind of emotional as they shared the moment, and then Matthew finally spoke, responding, saying, that's beautiful, but how is that, teacher, how is that a map? Jesus said, it's a map, because if people really want to find me, these are the kinds of people they will most find me with. And there it is. That it's sometimes in the moments that God seems furthest away that Jesus is actually the nearest. We just, we don't know it. It may be in the moment when we most strongly share the sentiment, how long, when we're breathing that out from our deepest place of hope, that God is actually closer than our very breath. God is with us is the good news of the the incarnation, that Jesus is with us, and that truth is actually experienced not only in our connection to God, but also in the deep, mysterious connection that we share with one another. This is a deep truth that World Communion Sunday reminds us of. World Communion Sunday is meant to remind us that we are not just connected to God, but we are deeply and mysteriously connected to others. And in the spirit of the text in the day, I'd like to say that one of the reasons God's answers to a particular prayer seem particularly off or distant is sometimes because the answer is meant to come through us. And we've, for some reason or another, failed to hear the cry or to respond to it. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are meant to live in connected communion with our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just here, but all over the world. We're meant to be a kind of holy family for one another, standing with our family, standing for our family as we would do. Sisters and brothers all over the world and all around our community and all around this church who are struggling and suffering, we're meant to stand with them and for them to care for one another. On the night Jesus was handed over to suffering death, he said, A new command I give you as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And that is deeply related to our mystical connection together in Christ, especially with those who are suffering, marginalized, mistreated, and oppressed. We have a deep mystical connection and responsibility in Christ To every sister and brother around our community and around our world who is crying out, how long? Whether we realize it or not. We're in this deep web of interconnected mutuality, as Dr. King said. How long is it going to take us to live into that? How long? It's perhaps never been more of a challenge, ironically, to sense that connection and respond to that connection because we're so connected. Through social media and other technologies right now, we are more aware of and connected to others all around our community and all around the world than we ever have been in human history. And because of that, because of that ongoing connection, we simultaneously find ourselves even more disconnected. More disconnected from the moments and the people right in front of us. More disconnected from ourselves. Our feelings about what's going on inside us and and around us. More more oversaturated with a kind of connection that numbs and diminishes other connections. Especially those holy and mystical ones with God and others that as followers of Jesus Christ really should shape our lives. I heard a statistic the other day that, and this is due in part to our technology and TV and everything else, that our attention span as American human beings over the past several years has diminished from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. Now you may be thinking 12 seconds was the bar, right? Like, what we're striving for now is to get back to 12 seconds? Well, that'd be a good start. Down from 12, our constant connectedness and our technology has given us the attention span of the dog from up. You remember? Squirrel. Remember that? So that our over-connection to some things has diminished our connection with others. And World Communion Sunday should call us back to these connections. Across the pew, across the living room, across partisan divides, across neighborhoods, and around our world as well. As we gather for worship on this World Communion Sunday, I wonder for each of us and all of us how aware we are of those connections. And the needs that accompany them. And the ways the Spirit might be prompting you and us to 
to respond. Isn't that what those Acts groups were about this summer? Listening to and discerning the Spirit and what it might have or want for us and from us? Do you sense those connections? Do you hear the cries? What's coming to mind for you right now? What are the things, not just in your own life, but in the life of others, the suffering, the struggle, what's coming to mind for you right now? There are no doubt things you are aware of and that you wish others were aware of or at least cared about as much as you do. And there are other things that you have turned your ear from as well. The prophet's sentiment on this World Communion Sunday reminds us that we are connected and that we should lean in and listen to those connections. It reminded me of a a story that um, I actually shared once earlier, but it was early in the pandemic and we were, were virtual and I was rambling in front of a camera in my office, so I don't know how many of you remember it. But I wanted to share it with you now because I really thought it echoed the sentiment of the text. How long on this day, World Communion Sunday, where we're reminded not just of our connection to other sisters and brothers in Christ, but especially those who are crying out, how long? The story is contextualized in a World Communion of Reformed churches who were working on their mission statement as a people. And this mission statement that they adopted began to be formed and really solidified by an experience that delegates from churches around the world had in Ghana. They were taken on a tour and had a little retreat in Ghana, and they were on this tour in Ghana, and the host decided, and this is kind of a first-hand experience I'm going to read from here, to show them what they call in Ghana the slave castles. Anybody ever been, seen those, the slave castles in Ghana? These fortresses date back to the days of trading rum and sugar and spice. And under the castles were cargo holes where cargo would be stored until the ships came over to transport it. And in later years, Dutch traders found a more profitable trade than rum and sugar and spice, and that was, as you know, human beings. West Africans of the area were hunted down and captured, Imprisoned in the cargo holds like so much other cargo, the great doors of the hold were closed upon them and chained and padlocked. And the doors did not open again until the slave ships arrived, which could be a period of up to three months. So food was, was sent down, it wasn't open, food was sent down through a chute and a window from above. And during the three months, people got sick, but the doors didn't open. Women gave birth, but the doors didn't open. People died, but the doors did not open. It was unimaginable. The delegates were stunned to see the cargo hold there in the slave castles and to hear about what had happened there. They moved on from that moment. The tour continued, and the delegates found themselves in a large, airy room with a big window and a lovely uh, area just above the cargo hold. What was this place? Someone asked. To which the guide answered, This room was the sanctuary where people in the castle worshipped. We were undone, they said. 
One in the group said, blasphemy. Another quoted the prophet Amos, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Righteousness, righteous indignation was palpable in the group. How could people possibly worship here above the cargo holds? How could they do it? Clearly they were not making the connections between life and faith. Could they not hear the cries from below? Then there was a long silence. And the witness says the experience turned on us when someone asked, where are we not making the connection between life and faith? Where are we not hearing the cries from below? Where is it in your life, in our life together, do you think that we might not be making the connection between life and faith? Where is it and and what people or group might it be that we're not hearing? Where is it on this World Communion Sunday and every day after that we don't seem to be hearing the cries from below? Below? 